0: You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. So we started a series last week as our March series, and we're calling it Stronger. And today, I want to continue this series uh, with a, a message Titled, Remember the Promise. Remember the Promise. I've been wrestling with this question in my heart this week regarding this message. And the question is, what does it take to find breakthrough at a breaking point? When you come to a breaking point, what does it take for you, for me, for us, to find breakthrough? How? How can we find strength in a moment of weakness. See last week we shared the Apostle Paul's approach to his own weakness and and we read from the letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth and we read a passage found in 2 Corinthians 12 10 that I want to read to you again today and it says for the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities and then he says this amazing one-liner that just flips everything around. He says, for th- when I am weak, then I'm strong. And today I want to continue to, exp- to explore this idea of strength in weakness, this thought of finding strength in moments of weakness. Because when I was praying for this series, when God put this, this, this message in my heart, I felt like many of you either dealt with this in, in, a, in, a, in a past not too far, not, not too long ago, Or maybe you're going through it right now where where you're dealing with some weaknesses. You're dealing with some things and you're wrestling with it. And you might be at a breaking point and you don't know what to do. You don't know how to go beyond that. Maybe you've tried to hide. Maybe you've tried to ignore it. Maybe you've tried to come to a place where, you know, you just put it on the back burner and you deal with everything else that you can do well. But that one thing that you, you know, you struggle with, you don't know really what to do about that. So... For the next 25 minutes or so, we're going to share, we're going to try to to use the story of the people of Israel as an example. Because I do believe that you can find strength in weakness. That when you're weak, it's an opportunity for God's strength to come upon your life and lift you back up again. And the people of Israel, they went through a journey that spanned across some 500 years or so. So we're going to go through 500 years of their journey in the next 25 minutes. Are you up for that? (laughs) Obviously for the sake of time we can't be too specific but we want to draw some lessons from each one of their stages and the first stage we're going to address is Egypt, the second one the desert, the third one the promised land because I do believe, I do believe that what they did in those moments where they were at a breaking point is what determined their success or their failure. And they came to several points where uh, they were about to break. But before Egypt, before, just to give you some context, God came to Abraham. And most of us know about Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. And God spoke to both of them. This was a promise given to Abraham and Sarah. And he said, uh, he promised them two things he promised them an offspring, and he promised them land. He said, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land. It was a place, that's the land. To the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, a great nation. A lot of people will come out of you. So everything about Israel, everything about the nation of Israel, from that point on, they weren't a nation, they were just a thought, they were a vision, they were an idea, they were a promise. But everything from that point on was based on this promise of offspring and land. And so Abraham and Sarah did have a son. But I think it's interesting that they had a son in their weaker years. They had a son when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 after menopause. That's when they had a son. Quite impossible, but it was in their weaker years. Isaac, their son, had two sons. They were twins, Esau and Jacob. I was actually talking to a doctor the other day. And uh, he was saying how they studied this, I, this uh, passage of Esau and Jacob uh, from the medical standpoint. Because some of the characteristics, characteristics there uh, that, they, that they, the, the, the Bible describes Jacob and Esau as give you the idea that Esau was a stronger twin. And that Jacob was a weaker twin. Sometimes that happens with twin pregnancies where one child will receive more nutrients. And because the Bible says that Esau was hairy and he was red and he was a skillful hunter. Gives you the idea that he was a strong, he was a a big man. And it says that he bent down to kiss uh, uh, Jacob in the neck. Gives you the idea that he was taller too. And it says that Jacob was a quiet person who lived in tents so it just you know from from their study and he said that that's what they draw the conclusion that they draw but it was Jacob the youngest and supposedly probably probably the weaker son who carried on the promise Jacob had 12 sons one of them was Joseph and Joseph Jacob's son was sold as a slave by his brothers and in, the, in his slavery, still, he, he decided to live in integrity. And we've talked about this here before. But in his slavery, he lived in integrity. And what did he get back for it? Wrongly, uh, wrongful imprisonment. Injustice. And he was left in prison. He was forgotten in prison. And in his moment of greatest weakness, God propelled him into authority. And he was the second most powerful man. In Egypt. Another development after Joseph's rise to power is that his family now finds themselves in a very weak position. A famine strikes the land. They don't know if they're going to make it. They don't know if they're going to survive. So they come to Egypt and beg for help. And who do they find in Egypt? Joseph. At their breaking point, at their weakest point, they were rescued by a former slave who happened to be a family member. So the story of Israel is paved by breaking moments, breaking point moments, where they were extremely weak. And in that moment of weakness, God came in and rescued them. And so now this family is in Egypt. And when Israel came to Egypt, this is where we pick up the story, they were only a large family. They were not a nation yet. But Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, said this to Joseph. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you and any able man among them, and if you know any able man among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Now this is the dream, isn't it? This is the dream outcome for any dire situation. Think about this. They didn't know if they were going to make it at all. They go to Egypt hoping to just get food. And Pharaoh, the king says, hey Joseph, give him the best of the land. And by the way, if you know anybody who's well able to work, give him my cattle. In other words, give him an executive job. This was an agrarian society. Cattle was their greatest asset. I put him to work for the government. Nice, cushy government salary <laughs> in Egypt. This is the greatest outcome. This is the best situation that could have happened to them. I don't know if you've had a moment like that. I don't know if you've experienced a breakthrough moment like that, where you were at a breaking point, not knowing if it was going to happen, and then all of a sudden opportunities open, like you don't know if you're going to get a job at all, and you're just hoping to make ends meet, and then a company calls you and says, we want you to work for us, pick a job, any. Or maybe, you know, you, 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 you don't know if you're going to get into any college, you haven't received student aid, you sent a ton of letters, nothing came back, and the deadline is approaching, and you're thinking, I'm not going to go to school and then you have two ivy league schools call you and say we got a full ride scholarship for you just pick pick where you want to go this is equivalent to what happened to them maybe you know you didn't know if you're going to find that mate that person am i going to ever find them jesus and then whoomp there it is <laughs> there it is praise god <laughs> and that's where they found themselves, from famine to abundance, from a place of lack to a place of, of provision. But something developed, something happened after this. There's an interesting develop to, development that happened in Egypt, and we're going to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, and then we're going to uh, skip to verse 13. Then Jos- Joseph died. And all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph and said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work they were ruthlessly made them in all their work they were they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. That that describes a 270 year period. For the Bible geeks there, let's do some math, okay? Because the first 80 years, Joseph was alive. Joseph lived lived in Egypt for 80 years. And we know that Moses was 80 years old when he came back to rescue the people of uh, of Israel from Egypt. But Moses was birthed during... He was born during that tough season. He was born when Pharaoh was killing babies. So we know that at least 80 years of slavery is what they had. They had at least 80 years of slavery. And there's a gap in between there of 270 years where maybe for most of it, things are okay, but things begin to turn. They went from a place where they could dream, a place where they could envision a bright future, a place where they could raise their children safely with provision to a place where they were tasked and made into slaves and had to work hard. And we're dealt a bad hand, just mistreated. And I don't know if you've been in a similar situation because maybe maybe you've been there also. That amazing job that you found that the company called you and said, Pick, we just want you to work for us. Something changed and shifted and now it doesn't feel as great. Now, you know, a new boss came in maybe or you were moved around and it, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like provision. It doesn't feel like you've been rescued it feels like you've been you're being oppressed maybe that amazing opportunity at college now is taking its toll because you got to attend the classes your your friend uh, your your college classmates are not as nice your teachers are harsh and it's it's weighty on you it's it's heavy on you maybe the relationship that was a dream come true you went through some, some rough spots and, you know, what was once bloomy, now it's not a beautiful blooming flower anymore. You're just left with the thorns and, and things are not as beautiful. Or maybe you were the big shot. You had the reputation, you had the influence, you had the leadership, and things changed and now you're not. Now you're not the big shot anymore. See, Egypt can happen to all of us. Egypt can come to all of us and there's something that we need to understand because maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been in a situation where in the beginning it was such a blessing. It was so good. In the beginning you were enjoying it and it was provision and it was nice and then it turned into something bad. What is it? What's your Egypt? What is the thing that you once loved? What's the thing that it was once a blessing but now it's not anymore? What's the thing that once got you up in the morning and lifted you up but now it just presses you down and it's a weight on you? What is the thing that casts you down and and makes you, instead of making you dream, it just feels like all the life is pulled out of you? So you need to understand this. When your strength is depleted, When you don't see a way. When things don't turn out the way you thought they would have turned out. That's when you cry out to God. That's when you seek God. That's when you put your hope in God. That's when you seek God and stand in faith. Because it's at your breaking point that you will see your breakthrough. It's at your breaking point that you can see your breakthrough. And that's what the Israelites did. At that breaking point, at that moment where they were being oppressed where the blessing was no blessing anymore. It was a curse. They began to cry out to God and say, God, we can't take it anymore. This is, this is not good. This is, this is not a blessing. And you see, it wasn't the job. It was the situation. It wasn't what they had to do. It was the slavery. And it wasn't even Egypt, the geographic location. It was Egypt, the spirit. That, that oppressive Spirit. And this is what scripture says in Exodus 2. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham. God remembered the promise. With Isaac and with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God remembered the promise. And he got Moses who was hiding, who was secluded in the desert and called Moses and his brother Aaron. Back into Egypt to rescue his people. God remembered the promise and he brought the people back, he brought Moses back to remind them of the problem, the the, the promise. Now, when Moses did come and he did remind them of the promised land and he did remind them of the covenant with God, before they could get to the promised land, they had to go to the desert. Before they could get to the place where God had assigned them, they had to go through the desert. And a lot happened in the desert. You know, there's a lot that happened in the desert. There's a lot that the scriptures tell us, and we can't obviously cover all of it. But there's a principal point that I want to highlight here. And it applies to you and I. Every time you're leaving Egypt, going to the promised land, you're going to come across a desert you got to go across the desert. And the desert can seem scary. See, the desert is always unappealing. But we have to remind ourselves this. A desert is not your final destination. God is not taking you out to the desert to live there, to stay there. He's taking you somewhere else. See, but the desert is important because the desert prepares you. The desert renews you. The desert challenges you. And the desert reveals your heart. And if I were to say something about the desert, that's probably the ultimate, the ultimate purpose of the desert. To reveal your heart. To bring the things that are really deep-seated in the heart out. The effects of Egypt in the heart. To bring it out. And this happened to the people of Israel as well. You know, maybe you are going through a desert. How do you know if you're going through a desert? Well, if... You're in a period of life where your strength has no efficacy. You try, you try, you try, you struggle and you struggle. And it seems like you're not making any progress Progress outwardly. You're probably in a desert. You know, if you're in a season where your possessions have no might, you have them. They can't change anything. You're probably in a desert. You know, if you are in a season where you're having to trust God for the most basic things in your life. Whether they are emotional, whether they are intangible, or whether they are tangible things. If you're in that season of life, you're probably at a desert. But when you're in the desert, the greatest mistake you can make is to think that the desert is just a waiting season. It's to think that you are there just waiting for you to get to the other side see the desert is not just a waiting season the desert has a purpose the desert is there to work to do something in your life it might press you might squeeze some things out of you but it's needed and that's what happened to the people of Israel we see it in Exodus chapter 16 And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. They're telling Moses and Aaron this. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. See, a desert will reveal your heart. Because this took place, this altercation took place two months And two weeks after they had left Egypt. God had delivered them from Egypt. Most people know about the ten plagues. The miracles that God operated and did to rescue them from Egypt. To rescue them from oppression. To rescue them from slavery. They saw all that. And now they saw the parting of the Red Sea. And now they're on the other side. Two months into it. Two months and two weeks into it. And they're saying... Oh, that we would be back in Egypt by the meat pots, eating the bread. In other words, I wish I had died in Egypt, in slavery, rather than being here. See, I've seen this happen time and time again. 80 years they weren't in slavery, at least. And now they're wishing to go back. I've seen this happen. Again and again. Somebody who is in a financial tight spot. They need financial breakthrough. They get promoted. They get that that income that they need. And they begin to work on recovering some of their assets and paying off some of their debt. And they're in the desert of spreadsheets. In the desert of leftovers. In the desert of saving and investing and paying off debt. But then three months later. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Take out a loan. And that extra provision is devoured. Why? Couldn't handle the desert. To go right back to Egypt. To a place of consumption. I've seen it happen in relationships. Someone is in a toxic relationship. It's not working. And whether it's a romantic relationship or just a work relationship or, you know, friendship. And God pulls them out of that relationship. They're delivered. And they're in the desert of solitude because it's needed. They're in the desert of solitude because they need healing. They're in the desert of solitude because God is working in them. But three months later, Right back, they go right back into another relationship, right back into Egypt. What happens? The same thing that happened to the people of Israel. Because when you go out into the desert, God, yes, He delivers you from Egypt, but there's still some Egypt inside, there's still some Egypt on the inside that needs to be worked in, and that's the purpose of the desert. See, in the desert, that God is not testing you, in the desert, God is blessing you. He's preparing you. See, God is not testing your faith in the desert. He is growing your faith. He's not testing your trust in the desert. He is growing your trust in Him. See, the test, the, 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 the desert is not finals. The desert is the study group. The desert is not the championship game. The desert is training camp. The desert is the place where God is not only getting you out of Egypt, but He's getting Egypt out of you. He's working in your heart. And it is necessary to do that. Because in the desert is where you meet the Lord and he reaffirms his promise upon your life and he reignites the dream that you have on the inside and he rewires certain things that have been bent out of shape by Egypt and he reaffirms his covenant with you and it is in the desert that you are able to be prepared for the promised land. Because without the desert, if you were to go straight into the promised land, it would break you. It would break you. And some of you, you know, you have the promises of God on the inside. You've been in that, you're in that Egypt uh, 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 in and out kind of thing because you do have the promises of God on the inside. And, but you can't even think about it because your mind is so stuck on what's now. What am I going to have to do now? What do I have to uh, take care of now? See, it is in the desert that God teaches you to trust Him for the most basic things you got to be able to trust God for the most basic basic things in your life. See, the people of Israel, they had possessions. They had gold. They had cattle. They had a lot of it. They they came out of Egypt with spoils. But gold is no good in the desert, man. Because in the desert, you need water. Not only to to feed yourself, but to, to water your cattle. In the desert, you need Bread. And the possessions made no difference. They had to trust God for water, for bread, for heat, for shade. And until you can trust God for the most basic things, you're not ready for the promised land. Because it will break you. It will break you. See, in the desert, where everything outwardly seems barren, is where God is working on the inside. He's working inwardly, preparing you. Through the promised land. And that's what happened to the people of Egypt uh, of Israel. They left Egypt on their way to the promised land. And God was dealing with them. Finally, they get to the edge of the promised land. And after they had been miraculously delivered from Egypt, after they had seen the Red Sea part, after they had drank water from the rock, after they had eaten the manna from heaven, After they had seen all those amazing works of God just showing and displaying that they could trust Him. That they could trust Him. They come to the edge of the promised land. And this happens. They bring a report. Moses sends 12 people into the promised land to spy on the land for 40 days. And after 40 days, they come with this report. And they told him, they told Moses... When we came to the land to which you sent us, it flows with milk and honey. It's a great land. And this is its fruit. They bought back pomegranates, figs, and they brought back a cluster of grape that took two people to carry it. Because it went all the way down to the floor. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The descendants of they, Anak were the Nephilims, and they were giants. They were, they were tall, really tall people. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the man who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. See, some people, they come to the edge Of their promised land and they never walk into their promised land not because they don't know what it is not because they don't know where it is but because they've seen the Giants in the land they've seen the Giants in the land and they are held back by it see God's promise for your life is big God has made big big promises for your life and most likely there will be Giants in your land Most likely there will be giants in your promised land. This is what they said. We looked like, to ourselves, we looked like grasshoppers when we saw them. And that's how they saw us too. We seemed to them like grasshoppers as well. The challenge for them to enter the promised land might have seemed surmountable. And maybe you're there right now. Maybe you have come to the edge of your promised land. Maybe you have peaked. Maybe you know what you're supposed to do. Maybe you know what God has called you into. Maybe you know what the purpose for your life is. You know what your promised land is. You have had the vision. You have had the dream. But when you sit to put pen to paper and you put the, the amount of resources that's going to take, The amount of cash, the amount of infrastructure, the kind of resources that you're going to have to put together, it seems like a giant to you. And you can't believe that you are able to do it. You feel so small. See, maybe your giant is not resources, but your giant is knowledge. The thing that you're called into will take so much learning. It'll take so much studying that you're like, I don't know if I can make it this giant is too too big maybe your giant is injustice you know you're meant to fight injustice you know you're meant to find to fight uh, uh, to live f- to fight injustice but when you look around the problems that you're supposed to fight against seem so big and you see yourself as a grasshopper compared to them maybe your giant is offense maybe your giant is bitterness That relationship that needs repairing needs forgiveness. But the bitterness is so big. The offense was so large. You don't know if you could do it. That's a giant. And you seem seem to yourself so small compared to it. Whatever your giant is. Whatever it is that's occupying that promised land. The biggest mistake you can make is compare that giant to your strength. When you get to the promised land, you should never compare your giant to your own strength. This is why we serve a big God. We serve a God who has big visions for you. And God's vision for you, God's promise for you, God's plan for your life is not measured according to your strength. It's not supposed to be weaker than you. It's not supposed to be smaller than you. It's not a vision that you're supposed to carry with your own strength. It's a vision that's measured against His strength. It's a vision that's measured against His power. It's a vision that's measured against what He can do for you. So instead of comparing yourself to the giant and looking at yourself and saying, I'm so small compared to my giant. Look at your giant and see how small he is compared to your God. (laughs) God is big. And he's giving you big dreams. Don't look at how small you are compared to your giant. Look at how small your giant is compared to our God. He is a big God and He can take you into your promised land, giants and all. Because He has given you a promise. So my encouragement to you today, it's very simple. Remember the promise. Remember the promise because maybe you're here and like the people of Israel, you've lived too long in Egypt. And Egypt has bent your faith out of shape. Egypt has warped your expectations. Egypt has oppressed you and pressed you down so long that you have stopped believing. And you see yourself as weak. Maybe God is inviting you into the desert. Maybe God is asking you to let go and trust Him. Trust Him with the most basic things in your life. Small things. So that you can then trust Him with the big things and the big giants. So that when you do come to the edge of your promised land, and some of you might be there right now, and the giant may seem so large, so big, that you can't conquer it. You are reminded that the one who was with you and delivered you from your Egypt, the one who was with you through the desert will take down your giants and you will conquer giants. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Why don't you stand with me?